0: And Jesus went on with, oh, I'm sorry. Our scripture is Mark eight twenty-seven through 33. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elisha, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him.
1: Well, it's um, Epiphany and entering into the season of Epiphany, and it's the time when the church uh, has historically uh, pondered this reality that Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just for the Savior of people like us or people that look like us, but for the Savior of the nations. And so for this uh, season, what we're going to do to help us do that is look at these questions that Jesus asked. If you read through the Gospels, he's always asking questions to people. In fact, there was one, uh, again, it depends on how you total them up, but there's one book, one study that said that Jesus asks 307 questions. He is asked 187 questions, and he answers eight of them. Again, it kind of depends on how you slice it up, but... uh, The bottom line is that he is asking a lot more questions than he's answering, which is kind of interesting. That's curious. Why? Why is that? Well, um, think about it like this. I shared this with you. I think at some point, but I'll share it again. Uh, About 15 years ago, uh, when Catherine and I were early married, we were living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, I went to uh, a counselor for the first time. My first time to uh, interact with professional therapy. And I went primarily because I was beginning to realize uh, this control freakness about me that so much of my life is driven by this n- compulsive need to manage and to control and to, and to be right. And so I went because I wanted to get to the bottom of this. And so I show up and I have my little notebook and my pen and I'm taking notes and he's asking me questions. And I, I can't remember at, at what point, but at some point In these sessions, I started to find myself growing frustrated with the process because he's asking me questions about, like, my feelings and my family, and I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, but just tell me what to do. Like, just fix this thing in me. Like, just tell tell me the things I need to do, and I'll write them down, and then he stops, which is like, this is like a therapist dream come true kind of a scenario, and so he just leans back in his chair and he puts his hand on, on his uh, face and he looks at me with this kind of knowing smile and he says, so let me get this straight. Are you wanting me to help you control the fact that you control everything? And I just remember feeling like my soul was just pierced because it's like I was exposed. It's like I'm, I'm doing the very thing I'm here to address. I can't not do it, but, but the fact that he asked that question, I mean he could have taught me that, he could have just said it, and I might have written it down and uh, forgotten about it, you know, two days later, but uh, because he asked that question, that question, it's like it invaded me and helped me discover something about me that I didn't know about myself before, that this thing is omnipresent in my life. But that's what good questions do. That's what good therapists do. Is They ask you questions so that something inside of you opens up, you discover something. That's why Jesus is asking all of these questions. He's not asking these questions because he's trying to get information he doesn't have access to. It's not like he's walking around constantly lost, asking for directions. He's asking questions not for his sake, but for our sake. And so the question we're going to look at this morning, I think, may be um, the most important. He asks this question. He says, who do you say that I am? Who do, you, who do you say that Jesus is? This is maybe the most crucial question you or any human being can ponder and give an answer to in your life. What are you going to do with this Jesus thing? but I'll warn you we're going to look at this but I'll warn you uh, this question it challenges us it stretches us it it presses us really in in three ways and these are the three big ideas I want to uh, explore with you this question challenges us intellectually it challenges us personally and it challenges us theologically so let's look at it and and I'll explain what I mean how does this question challenge us intellectually well As you can see, we're in in Mark chapter 8, which means we're kind of in the middle of the story. But for for eight chapters before this, Jesus has had this very public, very impactful ministry, and people are talking about him. And he knows that people are talking about him. And so he asks this question in verse 27. He's with his disciples. They're walking along, and he asks them, Who do the people say that I am? Because people are trying to make sense of who Jesus is because he doesn't make sense. He doesn't fit into any categories. So here's this man who is uh, poor, and he would be, you might say, on, on the bottom rung of the social ladder, and yet he has all this influence. He seems so weak and mild and tender and gentle, and yet at the same time, he seems to have access to supernatural power. He's um, uneducated, and yet he teaches with authority. He teaches in ways that is kind of blowing everybody's minds. Uh, he, He talks about God, which would have been a normal thing, but he talks about God as if God is his father, which would have been very puzzling. And so here's this guy that nobody can make sense of. He doesn't fit in any box, and so people are providing these theories, these explanations for who he is. And so they they provide an answer. You see that in verse 28. They tell him, well, here's some of the theories. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. So these are just the different theories that are going around. Some people said, well, you know, John the Baptist was this guy. He had this really powerful ministry. He was contemporaries with Jesus. At this point in the story, he had been executed by the state. And so people theorized. They thought, hmm, I wonder if somehow... John the Baptist has come back as Jesus. Maybe, that, maybe Jesus is John the Baptist. And some other people said, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It makes more sense if you go back and you read the Hebrew scriptures. Elijah was walking around doing, all, a, lot of, doing a lot of similar stuff. He was feeding people and healing people and raising people from the dead. So maybe Jesus is Elijah that has come back and other people said, uh, I think he's just maybe one of the prophets. I, I, anyway, the point is, everybody's trying to make sense of who Jesus is. In the same way for us, if you're going to make who's, sense of who Jesus is, you have to know what people are saying about him. And probably more importantly, do those explanations make sense? Do those explanations account for the data surrounding this person? If you were to go up to any, you know, midtowner on the street or any... Um, anybody in the city, and ask them, okay, give me your hot take on Jesus. Who do you think Jesus is? My guess is the modern explanations are not going to be, I think he was John the Baptist, or I think he was Elijah. I, my guess is the, the cultural, the, the, the generalized cultural hot take on who Jesus is is that he was a good teacher. I like his ethics. He had some good principles that he Kind of promoted, and I'm into all of that. I like that. So, for example, um, I, I included a couple of quotes at the beginning of your bulletin. Elon Musk did an interview earlier this year with, of all people or with all organizations, Babylon B, which, if you know what that is, this is like a, a Christian satirical website. They write these kind of snarky, funny, cynical articles. And a number of their staff people interviewed Elon Musk, I think back in January, so I guess a year ago. And it's an hour-long, hour-and-15-minute-long video. You can watch the whole thing. Uh, but at the end of this interview, they say, okay, before we finish, if you could just do us a quick solid. We have one more question for you. Would you, Elon Musk, accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Straight-faced. Straight-faced. And Elon Musk is kind of a little thrown off by that, as he should be, and uh, doesn't really know how to answer that question. But when he starts talking, here's what he says. I put it in your bulletin. He says, I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. There's some great wisdom in the teachings of Jesus, and I agree with those teachings. Things like turn the other cheek are very important, as opposed to an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye leaves everyone blind, so forgiveness is important, and treating people as you would wish to be treated, love thy neighbor as thyself, very important. And so he's saying, yeah, this is all, you know, I like some of the stuff that Jesus taught, good stuff. And um, so, you know, he's, he's, he's saying what kind of most people might think. Jesus is a good kind of spiritual teacher, a good kind of guru. In fact, if you know the name Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, kind of well-known for being a, a militant atheist uh, he wrote the book called The God Delusion and some other books that he, he's, he's just known for criticizing all forms of religion and spirituality. Back, he did an interview back in 2016 where he said Jesus was a good man. He said, if Jesus were alive today, I think Jesus would be an atheist, but I still think he would be a good man. And so you hear these people, even people who hate religion, at least recognizing oh, Jesus taught some good stuff. Okay, so let's step back and say, does that explanation make sense? Is, is, does that help explain who Jesus is? Because one of the other things that Jesus taught was that he was God in the flesh. We talked about this at um, Christmas Eve, but Jesus told his disciples, he said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Meaning if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at me, which is a pretty astounding thing to say. In fact, in the gospel of John, Jesus says this sentence, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, Abraham lived over a thousand years before Jesus was born. And Jesus said, before this guy was born, I existed. And in fact, he doesn't just say, I existed over a thousand years ago. He says, I am, which is a pretty, you know, obvious uh, remark to say, I've always been. I've never not been. I am eternal. I've always existed. Now, if you're not God and you're saying things like that, you've disqualified yourself from being a good teacher. That's the definition of bad teacher. In fact, um, C.S. Lewis, you can look at the beginning of your bulletin. C.S. Lewis explains kind of why this doesn't make sense better than I could. I'm just going to read it to you. This is a famous quote. You may have heard it before, but he says this. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. the kind of spark notes version of that quote bono said in an interview jesus was either the son of god or he was nuts now you might hear that and think okay sure that makes logical sense but how do we know that jesus even claimed to be god all this miraculous stuff i don't don't know if i can buy into all that stuff Jesus saying before Abraham was born, I am, didn't the church come along and just add all that stuff in later? Didn't they just make up this kind of this inflated view of Jesus so that we would believe him. Okay. Well, let's just think about this. Let's say you're right. Let's say Jesus really did just show up as a teacher of love. And he showed up and he said, hey, I I want to accept people as they are and love people as they are, and my main agenda is to teach other people to love and to accept people as they are. If that's what Jesus was all about, I I heard another um, preacher put it like this. I thought it was hilarious. He said, "If if that's who Jesus really was, why in the world would anyone want to execute Mr. Rogers? If you don't know who Mr. Rogers is, you're younger than me, but Mr. Rogers was, you know, Daniel Tiger. Like, just think about, I don't even know what the modern stuff is. Barn, Barney's not, <laughs> not modern. Um, the, the the people on television that just teach you to love, if that's, I mean, it's just so sweet. Who in the world would want to execute? But that's, that's the reality. If that's who Jesus was, it doesn't make sense of the data. Why was he executed then? So here, here's the point. You see how this question, it, 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 presses you intellectually. You have, to, you have to, if you're going to make sense of Jesus, what are the options out there? What are people saying about him? And do they make sense? Does it make sense of the data or not? But Jesus takes this a step deeper because it's easy for these questions to kind of be interesting or philosophically stimulating and just kind of remain in the world of academia and to remain in the classroom. But Jesus will not let it remain there. This question also presses us personally. Look at, um, look at uh, what he does next in verse 29. He says, okay, that's what they say, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You see how he, how he forces you to do business with this. It's one thing to say, well, I know what my family thinks about Jesus, I know what my church thinks about Jesus. I know what my campus ministry thinks about Jesus. I think I know what those people or my friends or this part of the city thinks about Jesus. But Jesus doesn't let you off the hook with just being content with what they say about him. He forces you to do business. Okay, you have to supply a personal pronoun here. I think what? Jesus is what? C.S. Lewis gave another quote that I'm just going to riff on. This is not the actual word-for-word word quote, but the, the heart of the quote said this. Jesus was either of infinite importance or he was of no importance at all. The one thing he can't be is of some importance. Now, you here's what, here's what I mean by that. You, you might be sitting there and you think, okay, I... I like Jesus. I mean, I'm at church, aren't I? I'm I'm a fan. I'm pro-Jesus. But there's, Jesus doesn't give you the option to just like him. The C.S. Lewis quote says, either believe his claims. This is who he said he was. He is the creator and the Lord of the universe. He is the crucified and risen savior of the world. And therefore, the only appropriate response is worship. The only appropriate response is, I've got to reorder and rearrange my entire life now to fit under his lordship, if that's who he is. Fall down at his feet and worship him. Or, option two, you don't believe his claims, and therefore he's either sick or he is intentionally deceiving people. Either way, you should not take him seriously. He's dangerous, he's harmful, hate him or love him, the one thing you can't do is just like him. He's either of infinite importance or of no importance at all, and we're all wasting our time, but this option of, eh, I like him, doesn't make any sense. I guess you could say there's another option, to be fair, which is, I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure that out, and that's okay. But there are so many people, especially in kind of modern church culture, that say you know, I like Jesus. I'll go to church some. I may even go to a Bible study or a community group or whatever's going on, but like, I'm not going to get all fanatical. I'm not going to get extreme with this stuff. I mean, this is, you know, we're not going to get crazy here. If I can, as gently as I say it, put it this way, that makes no intellectual sense. You're not actually listening and doing business with what he said. He doesn't give you the option to just be in the middle. You you see how he, he forces you to get off the fence one way or the other. Who do you say that I am? Is he who he said he is? Or is he a liar? Or, you know, a lunatic? Those are really the options. And I know some of you are trying to figure that out. But here's the last thing. Because this question doesn't just press in on you uncomfortably at an intellectual level and at a personal level, but also, if you can put it this way, at a theological level. This challenges us theologically, and here's what I mean by that. Look at, um, look at how Peter answers this. In verse 29, he gets, you know, he gets asked this question, who do you say Jesus is? And as Peter is prone to do, blurts out a response, and he says, you're the Christ, and the word Christ is this loaded Hebrew concept. It means God's anointed one, this uh, longed-for deliverer that was going to come and and save God's people. And apparently, he at least gets the word right because Jesus says, "Okay, well, don't don't tell anybody that." But how how does how would Peter define that word Christ? He gets the right word. But how would he define it? If you can kind of read between the lines, here's how Peter would define that word Christ. He would say the Christ is God's uh, anointed one who is a strong political savior. He is going to come and he is going to defend and protect Israel's national and racial interests in the world and defeat all of our enemies. So it's hilarious. Look look at what happens when Jesus starts talking in verse 31. Jesus begins to teach them that the Son of Man, referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly meaning, no parables no confusing metaphors, no weird imagery. He just says straight up, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to suffer and they're going to kill me. But I'll rise three days later. And Peter is like, hold up. Verse 32, he's not having any of this. And it says in verse 32, he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Jesus, what are you talking about? Messiahs don't do this. Messiahs don't lose. They, they don't suffer. They don't, they don't get killed. What are you talking about? This is so deeply ingrained in Peter that later in the gospel of Mark, when Jesus is praying in the, in the garden, there's these soldiers that come to arrest him. Jesus, uh, Peter instinctively pulls out his sword and just starts hacking away, slices off one of the soldier's ears, because for Peter, life is a street fight, We are here fighting for what we want in this world, and Jesus gives us this massive advantage. It's like having the Hulk on your team or having, like, Thor working for you because now it's like we got this strong superpower at our disposal that's going to defeat all these people and give us the life that we want to live. That's how he fills out the word Christ. So look at what Peter says, or look at what Jesus says in verse 33. Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, "'Get behind me, Satan.'" You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In other words, he's confronting Peter's definition. He got the right word. It's a terrible definition. And so here's the point. This question of who do you say Jesus is, it confronts us theologically because what it does is Jesus says, you are not free to just define me on your terms, You must let me define me on my terms. And what he's doing is he's confronting this instinct that we all have to use Jesus as a good luck charm to just give us the life that we want. Jesus, what you're there for is just to provide this spiritual boost in my life so that I can get the life that I want Ben mentioned this uh, last year, but you think back about some of the the video footage from the January 6th Capitol riot stuff. Uh, that there were some people, as you might remember, that were um, in that crowd that had these big wooden crosses and these big signs that said "Jesus Saves" on them. And uh, there's a lot to comment about that way of thinking, anyway. But but one of the one of the things that I think is interesting is it was just this clear display that. The, the way that these folks were relating to Jesus is that he is this power that helps me get what I want. Even if the thing that I want, I'm going to take it by force and by power, but Jesus is like a, he's like a you know, a rabbit's foot that helps me do this. And you think, okay, this is, that's an extreme, unique circumstance. The reality is, is we do this all the time. We say, Jesus, I, you know, I'm going to pray to you. I think you've got some power. I'll show up at church. I'll give you some lip service because I need you to empower me to reach the goals that I want to reach in life. I need you to get me through this exam. I need you to give me a boost with my medical practice. I need you to empower me so that I can go reach my goals and live the life that I want to live. And what Jesus says to us is, you need to check your theology you say that's who i am but that's not who i am i have not come to empower your agenda i have come as a suffering servant to die for your sins in other words jesus is saying you don't need someone to empower you you need someone to rescue you you don't you don't need a boost you need a savior And so that's why he comes and he suffers. He does the very thing that he said was gonna happen. He comes and he is rejected, he is made fun of, he is completely ostracized, he is tortured and beaten barbarically, and he is killed, why? Out of shocking and staggering love for people like you and for me. He gave himself away to bear the very penalty that you and I couldn't bear. He does it to save us, to suffer in our place. By his wounds, we are healed. When you hear that, when you see that, when you begin to connect the dots, the, the appropriate response is not, I appreciate his ethics. The appropriate response is worship. Shocking, mind-blown, gratitude generated in your heart I don't understand this this is beyond me this is too good to be true why in the world would anyone want to do this for me so I know that's a lot to process but I will conclude by giving you the million dollar question here's the question for you who do you say Jesus is what do you do with that Well, consider that an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, as we try to make sense of this uh, force that has invaded human history, the person of Jesus, I pray that you would help us make sense of him. And I do pray for um, the folks in this room that are wrestling with that very question. Not sure what to make how to make sense of Jesus. Not knowing where Jesus begins and ends, and where the church begins and ends, and where the Bible begins and ends, and it's all confusing. And there's all sorts of questions. Father, I pray for all of us in this room as we wrestle with the person and the reality of Jesus that you would bring us to a point where the end destination would result in worship, and with a rearranged life, and with new life, in and a result in where we get swept up into something bigger and more beautiful and more lovely outside of ourselves as a result of encountering this one whom you have sent. Help us, Spirit, we pray. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.